Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Uh, Chad, Jonathan Taylor, we may actually see him play for the Colts this week. Shane Steichen, head coach of the Colts, they, they've activated him off of the physically unable to perform list to start the clock. They have a 21-day period now where they can use him in practice, which, by the way, he's a full participant in practice today in Indianapolis. They play the Tennessee Titans in a divisional matchup on Sunday. Both teams at two and two. Um, they've activated that three-week window, and that means he could practice and not do anything and demand the trade that apparently no one's calling about currently. And the the timeline works out in the Colts' favor there with the trade deadline being on October 31st. Or he could play and just get paid the $4 million plus that he's due this year uh, based on the salary and the structure of his rookie contract. So the expectation is that he's going to be activated to the 53-man roster after this practice period, this 21-day period expires. But, Chad, what if he just decides, you know what, I'm just going to play it out. You guys guarantee you're not going to tag me, and I'm just I'm out of here after the season. It improves the uh, roster this year. It, the offense needs a consistent run game. And it gets him paid instead of him just playing this game where currently, according to reports, not many teams are calling the same way they were uh, in the uh, training camp uh, saga that was going on because the Colts want a first-round return as part of this. Plus, they were asking for wide receivers like Jalen Waddell out of Miami. Are we just going to pretend that he didn't say and act like everyone around him that he's never going to play for the Colts again in just a time heals all wounds type thing. Yeah, but like, like everyone pretended that Ursay said he wouldn't be traded then granted the trade request yeah. to seek one. Exactly. This is a weird deal. Yeah, we it is. Two, guys, two sides coming back on their word and everything they said. It's just, uh, well, all right. Right he's now it's healthy, optics so, for a trade though. Yeah, that, he's healthy, so it, he's going to play. They've, I, I'm they've saying activated it, him and now he's going through the motions of being a guy, a guy that wants to play. Very uncomfortable if he's out there in a Colts uniform. I agree. Playing in a game based on but, this is not just water under a bridge. This is no, a you're right. cascading Niagara Falls type level of water gushing over the bridge that we're talking about. This cannot just be a, well, you know. We, or maybe they're we, working we, on We went to our separate corners and we, uh, we licked our wounds and we came back out and said, this is what's right for the Colts and for Jonathan Taylor. The quote from Shane I just Steichen. don't think you can sell that. We'll see. We'll see how practice goes. That was the, the he goes, we have the walkthrough today. He's talking about today. Then practice Thursday and Friday. So we're, we'll see where he's at with uh, the, the whole issue with his, his foot, his ankle. Um, and speaking of injuries and activation, uh, Cooper Cup's been on injured reserve. He's now been activated there. So they also have that three week window now, four weeks, where they can now work him back into the lineup. But that's good news for a Rams team that's, Playing okay. Playing okay, but 
that's a huge boost as well. It's, it's not a huge boost for Davies Puka Nakua Rookie of the Year hopes. Possibly going to take some take C. some. CJ Stroud is also hurting that that possibility. Yeah, Davies thinks the Puka Nakua has already won it. They don't even, <laughs> he didn't he need to play. Maybe, Quarter of the way through the season, maybe he, he saw says, the script. It's it's all there. He saw right? the script already. We, there's nothing. Uh, the guy cannot play another snap, and he's already the rookie of the year, according to Davey. Yeah. He loves this guy. Chad, uh, Oregon State and Washington State, are they about to lose more than just Power 5 affiliation uh, based on conference realignment and the fact that Pac-12 is no more? It's now Pac-2, and that's just not going to work. I, no, I, I'm not saying this to patronize Washington State or Oregon State. I legitimately feel bad for both programs yeah. and both fan bases. I know we have Ryan Leaf on the show, and he ta- he's talked about some of this. It's really, if you care about sport, and I think you know all of us obviously care about sports, it's, it's our livelihood, but it's a big part of culture in this country. It's a big card, part of people's lives, your, where you went to school, where you grew up, you're an alumni of a place. It's a huge deal. And it's, think, it's who you are. Exactly. It's a part of the, it's not just a fabric of the country. It's a fabric of you personally, whoever's watching or listening right now. It's, it's what, it's what you're about. And what Washington state and Oregon state are about right now is a lot of nothing because they were abandoned by the sport. And, and it's not sports as a whole. It's, it's college football. It's networks. It's the PAC 12. It's George Klyavikov who screwed this thing up also. It's everyone else finding an out and finding a safety net where Washington State and Oregon State couldn't. And through no fault of their own, both teams are having really good seasons. They have really good football teams. They're fun to watch. These are cool, interesting parts of our country that you know not a lot of people get to necessarily, but if you're from there or you went to school there or you went to games there, you're a fan, you know how special it can be. And not only are they losing out on a power conference and they don't have a home right now, I fear they're going to lose two great coaches, two of the best young coaches in the sport. And it's through no fault of Washington State or Oregon State. But these guys are going to have to make a business decision at some point. And when Michigan State comes calling for Jake Dickert, who the Athletic is already reporting, the two finalists for Michigan State are Jake Dickert of Washington State and Lance Leipold from Kansas – if 40-year-old Dickert gets the call, he's going. He's probably going to go. He's going to go to the Big Ten. Even if Michigan State's a mess right now, he's going to go. And Washington State's going to lose a great coach. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. The moment he gets an opportunity for a landing spot, a safety net, the same one that Stanford and Cal found in the ACC, or that all these other schools found in the Big 12 or the Big Ten, he's going to find that safety net at one of those conferences in one of those schools. And I hate it because they're great stories. They're great teams. They've been abandoned and left behind. These are stories that, as Americans, we love. We're not rooting for Microsoft to win. We're rooting for the little guy, rooting for the mom-and-pop store down the, down the street. Is there any better example of that than a school in Corvallis, Oregon, and another one in the Palouse in Washington State on the Idaho border? No. There's no better underdog stories than that. And the two underdog coaches coaching them are likely to leave. And I hate that. I hate that they're going to be forced well, to make a business decision and go somewhere where they have a program with stability because they're making TV money. I, I'm, I'm right there with you on the situation. The truth, though, is these guys would leave anyway. And Maybe. Co- coaches lo- leave all the time, except for Dusty May. 
coaches leave every single year or they flirt every single year in order to have leverage to get more money. Uh, Lane Kiffin comes to mind there. But beyond just the situation, it would also be a great business decision for them career-wise in the, in the line of coaching where you're used to just popping around and not finding that stability to try to go after a national championship. And that would be the next tier, would be Big Ten, SEC, East Coast, what have you. That would already be in the works. Maybe even Big 12 at this point, based on preseason expectations for where some of those programs were at the top. Um, but Chad, the situation here is going to force their hand even more. And that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. And no, you're right. I mean, um, Mike price, Mike Leach, two guys who willingly left Washington state while they were in the PAC 12 for other jobs. Uh, Mike price, very short tenure at Alabama. (sighs) And then Leach, Leach went to Mississippi state to the sec. Um, you know, even going back to, um, Oregon state. Gary Anderson, if you remember, left Oregon State to go to Wisconsin, and then it didn't work out there, and he went had to go back to Oregon State because that was a better fit for him at the time. So yeah, guys leave these, yeah. this program. Anyway, I just I hate it because even Cristobal left Oregon. Well, we all remember it's it wasn't that long ago, a couple of weeks ago, right? Jake Dickard had that impassioned, right, logical and, rant. That wasn't a rant. That's the wrong word to use. The dissertation that he had in his post-game press conference about Lee Corso and ESPN and how they conspired and were a part of Washington State being without a home. And he doesn't like the fact that now it's suddenly a joke to ESPN that it's the nobody wants us bowl when those two play. I'm watching that thing, and man, this is really cool. Young head coach defending his university, defending his guys, defending his program. And then I'm watching all this, and about four days later, I see the report that he's the leading candidate at Michigan State. And I think, well, that sucks. Fun so, while it lasted, but he's likely to bolt just like everyone else bolted on Washington State. Unless, and so, it's hard to blame him. And I don't know where the level is for Michigan State now, based on what they're uh, what they're trying to keep with Mel Tucker. But again, they're they're not going to pay in that steep price moving forward. Um, but Jake Dickert, through just a quick search here, two point seven million is his salary at Washington State. And I think about Dusty May at Florida Atlantic. And he went from $400,000 to like $1.2 million. FAU did what they needed to do over a 10-year contract. And people still smirked and kind of you know, laughed at Dusty May for not trying to go bigger. Yeah. And instead of staying at FAU. Like it's not appreciated enough, uh, even though it's certainly commendable, where he took FAU to the Final Four, but also like stayed. And that was like, what percentage chance was that during the tournament oh, run? Oh, well, I mean, everybody thought he was going to bolt. I- immediately. So. Also, I think Dusty May is going to leave in like two years because he's going to have that whole group come back and they're going to go on another and run. And that was what he referenced. They're going right. to be really good. You're he's right. going to want to coach those guys again and see where, how far they can go uh, again. They're not going to go to the Final Four again. But uh, another, are, but they're another run a of relevant means transfer portal options for him yeah. that he probably and, and didn't then, have. Now, yes, he could build. You know, we, we talked about this at the time. Uh, why can't Florida Atlantic be Gonzaga? Right. Right. Why can't they build themselves into a mid-major that's a factor, a butler? Especially in that a, state. A factor every year. Where everyone else seems to be down. What's likely to happen, though, two, three years from now, 
He's going to go to the tournament again this next year. They won't make the tournament the year after that. And then he's going to poke his head up from the gopher hole and start looking around at all the available options. Yeah. And he's going to leave for Indiana or somewhere else that's going to have a big job's going to come open and he's going to be the guy for that job. And you don't that's want. That's my guess. And, and you know, it, it, this coach would get pissed off at this, but it's true. Coaches don't want to be Matt Campbell where you're the it guy for how many off seasons in a row consecutive. And now it's just like, now you're in a shouting match with some dude in jean shorts. That's about telling being you on the hot that you're seat. about to get fired. Yeah. And, but like it, Matt Campbell was at the top of any coaching search list for two or three straight years. And now you see him there, but he's seven or eight names down in some cases. Yeah. And that, but, but I, I like the fact he stayed. I do, but it's just not something that's sustainable if you're doing that and you pass up the big time, big time money, unless you're, you're making a lateral move and you're just doing it to get out based on leaving the, the program that you're leaving in shambles. Who was, um, but your name stays intact. I mean, uh, David, we made to look this up. I honestly don't know. Is Greg Marshall still coaching? Remember when Greg Marshall at Wichita state was the guy that everyone in America wanted to hire. I remember when Alabama made a run at him and I think they got Anthony Grant at that point. Yeah. But it was the, the rumor that he was going to take the Alabama job. But every school in America talked about Greg Marshall, who got Wichita State, I think, to a Final Four one year, Yeah, um, was going to take a job. And he didn't. He even ended up getting fired, I'm pretty sure. Or if he's at Wichita State. was his final season at Wichita State. Yeah. But that's, Hutton, that's you're another right. example of strike while the iron is hot. And that's Even sucks. when you're at a smaller school, it's never a lifetime deal. Well, it, it, the iron may not be hot enough for these two, but the right the circumstance is what sucks for them. But they're also getting attention because of the circumstance. Yeah, no. I, they're I going just, to get a better job because of the circumstance, not because of their result. I just hate that Washington State and Oregon State could sell power five job. Low end, yeah. no doubt. I mean, they know who they are, right? They're not trying to mistake themselves for Bama or Ohio no, State. But they know it's a low-end Power 5 job, but Power 5 job. You're in the Pac-12. And now they're about to be competing with Fresno State and Utah State for head coaching candidates. And that's not to besmirch those programs. That's just reality. Yeah. They're about to be in the Mountain West. And that's their option. You know, that's what sucks. Yeah, I hate it. But it, Now like, that uh, Washington State-Boise State rivalry is going to be hot. That, that's that's probably what we're likely to see next. It, you think it's going to be like uh, Utah and BYU in the Big 12? So I didn't realize this, but uh, I don't think we talked to Ryan Leaf about this, but Washington State and Idaho, University of Idaho, yeah. the Vandals, yeah. they're separated by like seven miles. It's like Tobacco Road. It's right across the state line. Moscow, Idaho that is, awful dome. is basically a suburb of Pullman, Washington. That barn? Yes, the airplane hangar they play in, yeah. basically. Um, but there, that's like you can go party on either campus if you're a student right over the state line. It's that close. Chad, uh, uh, how about this? Uh, former, we uh, got to make that happen. Uh, we need to do a show back. from a game at Washington State. Marshawn Lynch says that Russell Wilson was, quote, just a quarterback to him. Didn't have his number. They did not hang out. Quote, Russ was just a quarterback. I don't have his number. And then says that Russell Wilson blocked his number. He said this on uh, with Shannon Sharp on Club Shay Shay. Bizarre. A, that's a weird move. Russell Wilson asked to, to see block it. his number. Yeah. Um, and you've got Wilson 
uh, asking Seahawks ownership to fire Pete Carroll and John Snyder uh, in their last year? That coming from the Athletic? Weird move. And now look at their record and who they're facing this week. And the Geno Jets. Smith. Geno Smith. Uh, who, who knew? Uh, speaking of coming back from injury, the guy leaves the game with a knee injury. He's out for a while and comes back in on Monday Night Football. What, what did Didn't Geno Smith? Sean Watson doing what did Geno Smith tweet right after the game? Who's your daddy or something? After the, what they did to the Giants. But I respect him even more now. I do too. Clay Travis joins us next. A lot to dive into, including Trevor Bauer. And now, if if you come to pitch again in Major League Baseball. Sixth and Peabody, our location with E-Hop Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton with rolls on across the Outkick Network. The founder of Outkick joins us weekly at this time. Clay Travis on the line with us. Clay, hope, hope things are well. I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are, we are I, excellent. I had a Ray Kroc reference today, the movie yeah. The Founder, about McDonald's, and now you're calling Clay the founder. It's the great. founder. The Two founder. founder references in one day. Hey, and, and in an addition as well, Clay, uh, we, we were pumped to see this. Uh, Kelly in Vegas, uh, who joins us each Friday, has officially joined OutKick and joined – you, you'll be joining her on a new gambling program for OutKick. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. We're doing the first one tomorrow, um, and uh, I am—I'm uh, pretty optimistic. People are going to enjoy it. Yeah, um, we'll be breaking down college football and NFL games uh, every Thursday, right before <clears throat> uh, Thursday night NFL kickoff. Um, so the first show will go tomorrow. Um, I've known Kelly. Uh, we did live shows from Vegas, I think in 2014 um, was the first time I met her. So uh, nearly a decade now uh, that I've known her. She obviously uh, did well for herself uh, a lot of different places, but including Barstool. She's funny. Um, uh, you know, again, it's always good to hire people that you know well, Yeah. Um, in, in my opinion, because, uh, you know, they make good content. You know, they work hard. And uh, I think that uh, that I know that she's going to be a good fit, and I think people are really going to enjoy it. Well, and she's passionate about sports the same way the three of us are. You know, that was you, you introduced her to us uh, on the bus for Outkick the Tailgate, and was it Gainesville or Jacksonville? I, can't I mean, I love which. Megan making money. I mean, Kelly and Kelly, Vegas. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah, both right. great. Yeah, right. uh, I mean, uh, uh, they they got uh, uh, Withrow got her confused <laughs> um, <laughs> with it. But yes, she uh, she lives in Florida now, and uh, was it last year or two years ago? I don't remember two. exactly. Two uh, years ago, but, uh, we were at the we cocktail were, party. Yeah, Florida, Georgia for the cocktail party. She brought her dad, um, who is a, a big sports fan too, um, and also has great taste and likes Outkick. Um, so uh, you guys met her then, but like I said, we did television on FS1 in 2014 live from the uh, Westgate Sportsbook. Uh, it was me, Furman, um, Carissa Thompson, I think, and uh, and Andy Roddick, which is certainly oh, yeah. an interesting quad. Um, but uh, we were the first show to ever be live from a Vegas sports book. We had a lot of fun with it. Um, and uh, I, I think that she will be uh, – it'll be a lot of fun. She's uh, She's got good knowledge and uh, and is entertaining when it comes to talking about sports, gambling in particular, sports in general, I think. But it's going to be fun. So – I'm excited to uh, to have her as a part of the team. Yeah, n- absolute no-brainer. Great job getting it done, Clay. She does a, a terrific job with us on Fridays, previewing the weekend. 
Can't wait to watch the show starting tomorrow. So Kelly in Vegas, uh, terrific addition to the Outkick family. Clay, I watched this Trevor Bauer story. And I know you've commented on this a lot as well. And I think one of the more unfortunate parts of all this is that from here on out, so many people will always think of Trevor Bauer as the guy who was accused of this awful thing and not the guy that was later exonerated of it and that had a settlement where he didn't pay the accuser anything and these text messages were released because people aren't covering the follow-up to this. How sad is that? for Trevor Bauer when you think about that part of the story that so many are always going to associate with him with this regardless if he did it or not yeah look um, I, I think it's awful and um, I, I think this is one of the challenges that comes with cases like these and I've got a lot of thoughts on them um, one is and, and I've been saying this for a long time I think it's profoundly unfair that we have created a world where there are almost no consequences for uh, accusations of sexual assault that are later proven to be untrue. Um, that is, you, when you accuse someone of rape, what you're basically saying is, I want this person to go to prison either for a significant period of time or potentially for the rest of their lives, depending on what, what the other characteristics, where the jurisdiction is, all those different things. What she said was, not only did he rape her, this was her allegation, she said he beat the crap out of her. Uh, now, police investigated and chose not to actually bring any charges against him, so at least that's a positive. But once the accusation is out there and widely circulated, you can never unring that bell. So to me, one, if you are proven to have falsely accused someone of rape, I think that you, as the false accuser, should face the same punishment for that false accusation of rape that the person you accused of rape would have faced had they been convicted. So I think those charges should be brought against you. Um, number two, and I got, I got three big thoughts here. Number two, if you are someone who believes that rape or sexual assault are underreported nationwide, as the data reflects that it likely is the case, you should hate stories like these because they delegitimize legitimate cases of sexual assault and make many people, particularly when rich or famous people are involved, make many people believe that this is just simply a money grab and that there is no truth and veracity to it. And the third part of this, and this is part of a bigger debate that I think is worthy of being had. If we are going to say, if you accuse someone of rape, your name should not be ever publicly discussed. The rape shield law exists. Why, if you're accused of rape, should your name also not be published until you're actually convicted? Um, again, this is just an interesting thing for people to think about if you're going to debate it. If the idea is that merely having it known that you are accusing someone of rape is so destructive to your self-worth and to your ability to continue on with the rest of your life, why would we also not say that being accused of rape is the same thing, right? To me, if you're going to shield the accuser, that is the person who says that they were raped, why would you not also shield the name of the accused until such time as you might get a conviction? It's a media decision that you're not going to share the name. Why is it not just as bad 
if not worse, to be accused as to be the accuser in terms of what public perception of your name is. In fact, if we're really talking about it, I think it's far worse to be accused of rape than to be someone who is accusing someone else of rape, right? Um, I don't think people judge a woman who says I was raped. I think they say, okay, let's see what the case is and what the facts are. But I think everybody, almost to a, to a man or woman, unfortunately, as soon as the accusation is made, the person who's accused of rape is immediately judged. And to your point with Roe, you end up in a situation where you can't unring that bell. Once you are accused of rape, it is impossible to clear your name, really, in the, uh, in the hearts and minds of many people out there. And Clay, at the end of last year, uh, independent arbiter came through and reduced what was a 324-game suspension to 194 games for Bauer in Major League Baseball, who acted prior to anything, uh, course of action playing itself out. Do you think he's back in MLB? Do you think he pitches again? I mean, I think he should if it's just a question based on how talented he is. Right, and, yeah. and I think the answer would be that certainly he's one of, I don't know, what the top 100 starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. I mean, that doesn't easily, seem like a, yes, a crazy proposition to put out there. So if it's just a matter of talent, and then he, I think he, he kept he kept pitching too, which I think is – he went to Japan and, and, and yeah, he pitched. He hasn't there. stopped. And, and by the way, this is also why I've argued for nearly 20 years now uh, in fact, I think basically 20 years, my whole public career effectively, sports leagues shouldn't be in the business of determining guilt or innocence of criminal charges. If a sports league wants to investigate for good or ill Tom Brady and whether or not there were deflated footballs involved in New England Patriots games, that goes directly to the quality of the on-the-field play, right? If a sports league wants to test players to see whether or not they're taking performance enhancing drugs. And if you violate those rules of competition, suspend people. I think that's eminently reasonable. That's the job of the sports league. The NFL or major league baseball or the NBA or anybody else shouldn't be in the business of investigating whether someone is guilty of rape or not. I mean, this is crazy talk. Uh, and the fact that sports leagues have all entered into this decision is, I think, a poor precedent that has been set. If leagues want to suspend after conviction of players for, uh, for violations of the law, I understand that. I don't necessarily agree with it because I don't look to, I don't know, the New England Patriots as the arbiter of whether or not um, a player should be able to play a football game based on whether they rape somebody. I mean, that, to me, seems profoundly... Um, unserious for what is a very serious charge. Uh, whether you go to jail or not should be the question. I don't need the New England Patriots investigating back in the day Aaron Hernandez to see whether or not he should be held culpable for murder. And if he were, what would the suspension be? Like, you killed a man, you can't play for 12 games in the NFL? Like, that's crazy to me. It delegitimizes the seriousness to me of criminal charges. Um, but if you get it wrong, as it appears Major League Baseball did, what you can't ever get those games back. You can't ever get back the time that you were suspended to say nothing of your good name. You can't ever get back the money that the league cost you by potentially conducting a flawed investigation. 
So I just don't think these leagues should be in the business of this in the same way, by the way, that I don't think universities should be trying to, and I've been on this for a long time too, like a, a random English professor shouldn't be sitting in a Title IX investigation trying to determine whether or not somebody got raped on a college campus or not. These are broken systems, and you can believe that criminal misconduct deserves to be treated in a very serious fashion and also simultaneously believe in both the presumption of innocence and in the criminal justice system as the ultimate arbiter of guilt or innocence in American life today, not the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA. Clay, there's a couple of big-time SEC programs that aren't accustomed to having two losses leaving the month of September, and they do. That's LSU and Florida right now. They play on November 11th in Baton Rouge. Florida's got a very difficult schedule remaining. LSU's is tricky as well. Whose seat is hotter going into 2024? I don't think anything happens this year, but going into next year, whose seat is hotter, Billy Napier or Brian Kelly? Uh, Billy Napier, uh, because Brian Kelly's already been to the SEC West and won the SEC West in year one. He's also got a pretty significant history of success at Notre Dame at a major college football program before. Um, I think Billy Napier at Florida is going to be on a hotter seat um, because to me, Billy Napier hasn't proven he can win at a high level in college football. And correct me if I'm wrong. What did Florida go last year? Four and eight. Am I wrong about that? Five I think, and I think seven, they went five and five and seven, I believe, but I'll double check. Somebody, you guys can look that up, yeah. but you're potentially going to string together two 500 caliber or sub 500 caliber uh, seasons back to back. And then you're going to enter season three and it's going to be a show me year. And so I think, you know, look, Brian Kelly, they may go seven and five this year. Uh, but in year one, he went to the college, uh, to the SEC championship They were six game. and seven, by the way, Clay, uh, Florida in year okay. one for Napier. Okay, so six and seven last year. Uh, it's possible that they string together another six and six, five and seven, whatever the final tally ends up being for Florida. There are a lot of toss-up games still to come. I think they play Arkansas. I know they play South Carolina. Uh, Missouri. There are a bunch of games that could go either way on that schedule. I think they'll lose to Georgia, LSU, and Florida State, uh, for example. So, best case scenario, what is my math there? Seven and five. Worst case scenario, five and seven. Probably that's the the sort of universe that I would put Florida in right now. And I think if you have back to back really subpar seasons, you're in far more trouble than uh, than one bad season. Clay's got uh, the new uh, gambling show with Kelly in Vegas that debuts tomorrow on OutKick. Uh, But you've already got the blood bank guarantee up for this week, Clay. And, uh, well, you're going back to the well, speaking of LSU. You're going with Missouri. Yeah, look, I like LSU-Missouri the over in this game. Um, I think both teams are going to score 30 or more. Uh, The LSU defense gave up 711 yards to Ole Miss last weekend. They give up 31 points the week before to Arkansas and let K.J. Jefferson and company go up and down the field all day on them. Uh, we saw what happened in the second half against Florida State. And, and on top of that, they have a really good uh, offense with Jalen Daniels. So Jaden Daniels, yeah. I think they're going to go uh, a lot of possessions. Missouri moves the ball well. They have, uh, I think, a pretty talented quarterback, good receiving core. Um, I think Missouri will have success against, uh, against that LSU defense. I like Mizzou to cover. But more than that, I like the over in uh, in the LSU at Mizzou game. Uh, SEC is getting crazy, man. If Missouri wins this game, I've got the over with the at sixty four and a half LSU yeah. Missouri. I'm placing that you, bet as we speak. Clay, uh, we're up against it, man. Have a great rest of the week, and we will be catching up soon for sure. 
All right, appreciate y'all. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Clay. There's Clay Travis, Outkick founder. Uh, and again, well, uh, check out what's going to be a great Thursday show with him and Kelly in Vegas. They'll both bring it with great advice. We'll be following, Jack. Yeah. Get, ri- do, uh, get rich, kids. Kelly's, uh, you've been watching her on this show, you know. And she'll join us on She'll Friday. get the job done. She's going right. to do a great job. Coming up, on the big bus. Big for Outkick. Or off the bus. Some big headlines, basically buy or sell. And we're starting with Bill Belichick, the GOAT of coaching, and if he's out after this season. Ted, uh, Browns general manager Andrew Barry is optimistic about Deshaun Watson's shoulder injury, that it will not linger. How about that? Hot my with with her rolls on. Uh, Kevin well, Stefanski was also optimistic about it because he yeah. thought he should play this past weekend. Well, he was medically cleared. Yeah, very optimistic about his chances. And think about it, like the uh, the it, it it's different. If the perception, at least for me, is different. If you have a quarterback final year of his contract, nothing's really guaranteed after that. But the guy's got two hundred thirty million fully guaranteed. The organization wouldn't want to have him injured if it, there's a likelihood that the if something were to happen that it gets yeah it, it gets worse by but playing. They also, with the two hundred thirty million guaranteed, would hope that if their oh. doctors say he should play and yeah. can play, he should play. Yeah, that's, I'm saying like there's the paranoia of players thinking that usually comes because of the non guaranteed money. It strikes me as a guy who's more concerned with going out there and looking bad because he's not hundred percent. Unless there's some type of injury clause or something. But again, everything's fully guaranteed. That if my coaches come play. to me and say we need you. We want you to go. You at 80% is better than our backup option. And your it, your take on that is, I don't think I'm going to play that well or look that great out there, even though I've been medically cleared. That is a soft move. Well, and the other... That is a soft move, especially when you look around the league and you see Justin Herbert playing with a broken finger. You see Matthew Stafford looking like he's 80 years old, limping around the field right. out of the huddle with a hip injury. We can go down the list of guys who played hurt. There are plenty of them. And he, they ha- they also have a list of one player that they traded away as the backup quarterback in Joshua Dobbs, who's now playing well in Arizona, and they go with a quarterback that wasn't ready to go uh, this past Sunday. Yeah, I don't know that Josh Dobbs beats the Ravens, but Josh Dobbs definitely looks better yeah. given his experience and his time with, with Cleveland than their backup option did in that game. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Always prepared and ready to go. Yeah. It is, it's time for uh, we're hopping on the bus. Here's Davey Hudson. Guys, on the bus, off the bus. You mentioned it on the other side, Hut. Basically, buy or sell. Are you getting on with this statement? Or are you hopping off the bus? And we're going to start in Foxborough, Massachusetts with Bill Belichick. He's been the head coach of New England since the year 2000. Is this his final season with the Patriots? Yes, it is. I'm buying into this. I'm on the bus uh, uh, on record saying I think it's the final year of Belichick with the Patriots. I do not think it's the final year of Bill Belichick as a head coach in the NFL. I don't think he retires and just goes off into the sunset and does nothing. But I, I do think there's there's friction at the very least between him and Robert Kraft. And this goes over the last couple of seasons 
with how they've handled certain coaching moves or player moves for that matter. And even whenever uh, Brady was on the roster, there was always this dispute that was never clarified or verified, confirmed that he never, it, he didn't, uh, that you didn't have Kraft telling him to trade Jimmy G. You know, there was always something weird going on behind the scenes there. And like Brady and Belichick wore thin, I think this relationship has as well. I think he's 18 wins away from uh, passing Don Shula for most wins yeah. by a head coach in NFL history. I think he's going to get there with another team because it's not going to be the Patriots. I'm, I'm on the bus. This is his last year with the Patriots. I'm with Hutton. I think he goes somewhere else for a few years, and I think he gets to that record. Big question I would have. They're going to have Brady Day in June where they're going to fill up the stadium and honor Tom Brady and put his name in the ring of honor. Will Bill Belichick be there fresh off being fired at the end of the season? Well, I think I to think, honor Brady with the Patriots. I'm, yeah. I mean, we're talking about three months removed, three or four months removed from a firing that's going to take place. Yeah, I don't know, but is he fired or does he just leave? Well, he will. It will be an, an orchestrated resignation, but he will be stepping asked to away. Leave. Yeah, he he will be asked to leave. You can resign. Or we can fire you. It's going to be one of those. That's that's my. This thing is not getting any better. This, now, this is it for him in New England. I, I'm kind of deviating off course here a little bit, but we know Bill Belichick's the longest tenured head coach in the NFL. Do you guys know who the longest tenured quarterback in the NFL is? Because for the longest time, it was Tom Brady. It's not Rodgers. Well, sorry. Well, it's no longest tenured with their current stop. Longest tenured quarterback in their current spot. Yes. I would have guessed Chad Henney, but he just retired with the Chiefs as a backup. Is it a backup quarterback? Current starter. Oh, current starter. Current starter. This one threw me for a loop. Tannehill? Nope. If I were to even give you the year he was there, do you think? Let's see. Oh, uh, is it Mahomes? No, 2016's the year. What do you think, Chad? Final guess. Lamar Jackson? It's Dak Prescott. I was amazed when I saw wow. that. For whatever reason, it just like that one took me by surprise. That See, blows my mind. Dak Prescott, the longest tenured uh, quarterback in the NFL currently. But anyway, guys, we'll get back on course, wow. and we're going to be heading to Pittsburgh, dealing with uh, another coaching situation. Mike Tomlin, things have been rocky for them. Will Mike Tomlin, will this be his final year with the Steel Curtain? Go ahead, Chad. We, we're going to be definitive on this. I'm going to be definitively off the bus on this one. There's no way in hell Mike Tomlin's getting fired in Pittsburgh. The guy's not had a losing season ever in his time in Pittsburgh. Uh, even if he has a losing season this year, no way that family is getting rid of Mike Tomlin. This is not an organization that makes rash decisions. This would be the rashest of decisions to fire a guy with his tenure that has not had a losing season yet no, absolutely not. He is not in danger at all. There is nothing that will lure Mike Tomlin out of Pittsburgh, and there's nothing that will force the hand of Tomlin to leave the Steelers organization. He's playing for one of the best in sports, and if you are skeptical on this of why we're off the bus, just remember what he said when his name was mentioned for the USC Trojans gig. He called it a joke, and he said there's not a booster with a big enough blank check to get him to leave Pittsburgh coaching for the Steelers. The guy's underrated. 
in terms of where we will put him, just naming off the best coaches in the sport, because you go to the either the longest tenured or the most recent Super Bowl champion coach, anyone that McVay has, and if you've touched the cloak of McVay, uh, you're, you certainly get the you get the magic uh, that that comes with that. Tomlin doesn't need any of that, and I mean, last year I thought he was going to have a losing season, and they somehow put it together and orchestrated a year that. Still kept that record intact. I'm off the bus. He's not going anywhere. I would say sometimes it's just good for a fresh start after a long period of time at a certain place. And I know they've not had a losing season, but they don't have the pieces currently in place to be a contender for a very long time, in my opinion. But next Ask up. Sean Payton not, my question. Not your, uh, not your best question, Dave. All right. <laughs> There's all right. No, no chance. All right. Fresh Either side is, uh, is leaving that wow. one. This yeah. uh, next guy probably shouldn't be mentioned in the same breath as Mike Tomlin, but Matt Eberflus gets fired during the season. We're headed to Chicago, and we might have an answer on this one sooner rather than later. Yeah, Hutton, you can influence me on this answer because you've no. been strong about this family never doing this before. I'm, I'm strong on the fact that they've never fired a coach in season before. It's never happened in the historic franchise of the Chicago Bears, but this is going to happen. I mean, this is... This is a awful situation. They've got a lot of problems there, and they are going to try to find a solution within the staff that just gets something going. Can they find a reason to keep Justin Fields around moving forward, and can they find that option with a coach that's on the staff that then takes over and rallies the entire team? Because it's not good. It's really bad, and Fields is way better than what we've seen. And we've got Kaplan coming up in 10 minutes uh, out of Chicago to give us the very latest here. I, I am on the bus that he does get fired during the season and the Bears will become an organization that has removed a coach. I defer to Kaplan, our next guest, yeah. on, on, on his answer on this. I, I'm squarely on the bus, though. This should happen. Regardless of history with the family and what they've done in the past, this is your prime example of a guy you fire in season. It, it should happen. Uh, the Bears have currently lost 14 straight. Matt Eberflus as a head coach is 3-18. and 18. So, yeah, like you said, we got uh, David Kaplan coming up soon. Looking forward to that. But now we're going to go down to Indianapolis. You mentioned him earlier in the show, guys. But Jonathan Taylor, he is going to play for the Colts this season. On the bus or off the bus? I'm on the bus. I think the fact that, you know, he's starting to warm warm back up to the notion. I don't think there's going to be a, a great trade option right now for the Colts either. I, I think that they're going to just roll this thing out there and expect all of us to forget everything that's been said and done between the two sides, and he's going to end up playing this season. I am off the bus. I remain off the bus on this because the timing dictates, deadlines dictate movement. And, and they, they will get this trade done by lowering expectations or what they're going to get in response uh, or in return. They want this first-round return. They're not going to find that. October 31st is the deadline. They've opened up the 21-day window to figure this out. And let's also just throw in, like, if Taylor gets deemed in a game and then decides, I'm done, what does that do behind the scenes with Steichen's group? He's, he, they're, they've got a rookie quarterback. They need a run game. They're also figuring things out and finding a way to win some games here. Do they want the distraction to continue? Or do they want to just get something in return and move on? Because for the last four weeks, it's been relatively normal. Ursay hasn't popped off. 
Taylor's been in the shadows as he rehabs at the facility. I, I'm about to hop on the bus with Chad here that he's going to play, but I still think the Colts will end up trading him based on the agent that represents Taylor knowing that they've dug in and saying that they want more, and Ursay's digging in saying, we're not paying you. You've got a contract. Play with it. We're not going to extend you. He said that before. He said they're not going to trade him either in October. Here we are, and I think we see movement there. The AFC South is wide open with all four teams at 2-2, two and two, so Colts fans could definitely... I hope, by the way, he maintains his stance because Josh Jacobs did not. Saquon Barkley did not. And this, is, this reminds me a bit in a much smaller version of what Lamar Jackson was trying to accomplish, Jack. And yeah. instead, the headlines are going to be, oh, Taylor's demanding a trade again for a market that's just not that big. I, I want him to have success, and I want him to get his share of what he does for that offense. And based on what he said publicly and what the owner has said publicly about the position, I would, um, from the player's stance, they should be wanting him to dig in and hold firm with this. They won't. They'll, they'll applaud him for playing. All right. Well, guys, we're heading to the end of the line and a team that we've talked a lot about. We're going down to Los Angeles, and the L.A. Chargers are actually going to make the playoffs. You on the bus or off the bus? Squarely off the bus. I'm not even on the curb waiting to get on the bus at this one. I'm like a town over. Where one, the two bus straight, stop Chad. Is. Two straight. They're two and two, but um, they've got two coming up against the Chiefs. They still have to play the Lions. They go to Lambeau to play the Packers. They play the Ravens. They play the Bills. Um, this is going to be a year where the Chargers do not make the playoffs. This is the AFC that we expected last year. Competitive. Everyone's pretty much the same type of team uh, with the same type of issues. Jacksonville was supposed to be the team that everyone was on board with by the time we got to October. They're not that team. They're basically like the Chargers. The Texans, the surprise team that's in the playoff mix. Titans are also trying to either win the division or get a, a wild card spot. They hold head-to-head over the Chargers. Chad, I'm not throwing them out of the playoff uh, race yet. I, I'm, I'm on the bus with this because the teams that we expected to be in the way, the Jets, the Patriots, the Titans, the Jags, they're all battling at the same exact spot L.A. is. And above them, the Browns, who has a, a, a quarterback and a team captain who was medically cleared to play and didn't. The Steelers, who somehow uh, right now are still in the hunt, even though I'm not buying them. Other than that, where's the... You've got two or three spots that are wide open, and the Chargers have the quarterback to go do it. I've, and I should also mention the Bengals. They can, yeah, their Bengals are out. This is a, a, not a bad season to have a bad start. And remember the stat about October as well. Davey, thank you so much. Coming up, we get the latest on the Bears. Hot Mike with Hutton Whitmer rolls on.